White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill on Twitter. The show is at Locked On Sox on Twitter, Instagram, and go and follow us on YouTube, the YouTube page, Locked On Sox. Might get a prize pack sent to you. <laughs> we'll tell you how do you do that later on. But with no further ado, here is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing today? Oh, doing great, Herbie. It is Talk to Us Tuesday here on Locked On White Sox. Sorry, that is Locked On White Sox. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, episode number 168 today. We will get to your emails in just a bit here, but uh, there was some news that came out just quietly last week. It's funny. There was very minimal audio or video accompaniment. Uh, when Chris Getz met the media in the middle of last week. Uh, but there were some interesting things that came out of it. And I want to talk about this here real quick before we get to the bag. Uh, Chris Getz spoke to the media. And two guys that, that are going to have a, a role here in 2021 uh, were brought up. Okay, And uh, Chris Getz, who's, who's overseeing the whole thing now, the whole minor league system, uh, spoke and he said this about Garrett Crochet. You guys have sent in a lot of emails about Garrett Crochet. When's he going to be starting? How are they going to use him in 2021? What's Tony going to do with him? This, that, and the third. I'm just going to read this is from Scott Merck at MLB.com because we don't have the audio to go with it. Uh, but here's what Chris Getz said about Garrett Crochet and his plans for, for Crochet in 2021. He's a guy that coming off of 2020 with a lighter workload, a starting workload, that for 2022, we have to be very creative. We have to be very cautious of how many innings we put under his belt. And the bullpen roll probably is the safest landing spot to accomplish that. Hopefully, we look up at the end of the year and he's got an ample amount of innings and therefore we're comfortable with him starting the following year. The hope would be that he can transition as a starter the following year, but there are certainly plenty of unknowns here, Getz said. I just know that he's ready for this year to start. He's excited for the role that's been given to him, and any White Sox fan or baseball fan is going to enjoy watching him pitch. All right, so there it is, your definitive answer from the guy who knows him best, Chris Getz, Garrett Crochet, saying the plan for Crochet this year, bullpen, with the hopes of having him be a starter in 2022 so this is pretty much what we thought all along not uh many things surprising here herbie wouldn't you say correct uh it's probably their best interest to do what he says because he's coming off a year where in tennessee i think he only had one start at the beginning of 2020 and then shut down because of covid protocols and then was thrust into the white Sox thing at the end of the year where he had zero starts maybe and that's where we're hearing that they wanted him to be a starter eventually. And they're working the Chris sale plan where they're easing him into the, to the uh, rotation. Probably uh, I was thinking couple starts where you're, he's the opener with the understanding he's going two three innings. And then you follow him up with either cease or Ronaldo Lopez, or if you really want to go lefty lefty, go with Carlos Rodon on that, re- in that regard. But 
yeah, you're going to have to stretch this guy out somehow. And so when C struggles to go five, he'll give you multiple innings so you can bridge that from the fourth until the seventh until you get to the back end of the bullpen. And you're solid. You're smooth with the guy, especially if you're going to get the Indians with all their switch hitters and left-handers they have in their lineup. So then, yeah, I think this plan to get him multiple innings of work when he does come in, not just as a guy, you know, I don't know if the three batter minimum is going to hit or stay, probably is, not just a guy to just be pitching to lefties, a guy that's going to be a starter, so he has to get enough innings this year to get his body ready for the wear and tear that's going to be 150, 175, maybe 200 innings, maybe that's a little far because they don't pitch 200 anymore, but I would love it. I would love for him to be in a hybrid role where he's just used at any time, at any time during the game. He's an opener. He's a closer. He's in the middle of the guy, middle of the ball game guy, high leverage guy. Do it. Let's go. And we saw last year, and we saw the reactions from those hitters. They wanted no piece of that guy. Garrett Crochet is filthy. The this novelty of being six six, lanky arms and legs coming at you, and then. 100 miles on your hands, I'm good, friends. I'm real good, yeah. no matter if you're right or lefty. Yeah, good luck with that uh, if you're an opposing hitter. Um, but, but I remember uh, I, there was a, a lot to be made about Rick Renteria's decision to put Crochet in that wild card game with, with you know when it wasn't a clean inning. So I, I think about that. You know, This guy's been a starter his whole life, and he prefers to have the clean inning. So, I, you know – baseball is going to be weird on you sometimes, so I don't think you'll be able to have a guarantee that you'll want to have your guy be in a clean inning on that particular day. You just never know. you know. So I don't think – I don't know if that philosophy is works best if you're grooming him to be a starter. I think the philosophy of, like you said – Having him be an opener is by far the easiest way to transition him into being a starting pitcher in 2022. You throw him out there once every five days. You know, I, I always say this, you know, but, you know, early on in baseball seasons, you know, the weather creates opportunities for double headers, rainouts, things like that. So, you know, I, I think you will have opportunities to do so early. And, uh, you know, but I worry that the, the best thing for this team may be to use him in that, in that, Role where any any time, man, we could be any time here with Garrett Crochet in this ball game today. Any any high leverage spot, you're our guy. But I think they do have the luxury that they have Aaron Bummer to do that, and hopefully the starting pitching will be strong enough where they can keep Crochet on the plan, and they won't have to have him until maybe the postseason, where it's like, okay, we're not going to use you as our high leverage guy in like the fourth or fifth inning until the postseason, um, and hopefully he has uh, an entire season of being an opener. You know, but or he may just have to grow up and be like, you know what? You're not going to be able to know have that routine in your day that day. Like you're not going to be able to wake up in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to be the starting pitcher today. Like it may not be that easy. So they have to be. It's a real fine line to walk here, right? When you're talking about the plan for Crochet in 2021, but I think they would be best served to have him just be the opener uh, to to start and then sort of. Uh, ease him in maybe into a high leverage spot down the road after he's had some success, after he's built up some confidence and and he sees the plan they have in place for him. Um, but this is the other thing here that Chris Getz said. Uh, when talking about Andrew Vaughn, now this has been a topic of conversation all offseason long here on the show. What are the White Sox going to do at the DH spot? Is Andrew Vaughn ready? Um, here's your answer, I think, here. Here's what Chris Getz said to the assembled media late last week about Andrew Vaughn in the DH role. 
Chris Getz says, what separates Andrew is his mentality, his makeup, how under control he is in the box, his discipline to sticking with an approach that works with his swing. Chris Getz said, certainly it was unfortunate that we weren't able to send him off to an affiliate, but we were lucky to get him at the alternate site and get a significant amount of at-bats against very good competition, perhaps against pitchers that he wouldn't have faced that had gone to an assignment like Double A Birmingham. He says this, he was facing major league pitching at summer camp and then at the alternate site. We had upper-level pitchers there and guys that had spent time in the major leagues. He was certainly right. one of them. <laughs> he certainly was one of the more consistent hitters that we had there. He has a very sound approach at the plate, and we feel that he's going to translate very well at the big leagues when he's asked to perform at that level. So I wouldn't be surprised if that question is asked. Get said, I would certainly share with them that he is ready to help this team. So I think you have your answer right there. Andrew Vaughn sounds like, looks like he's going to be the DH as it sits here on February 9th, 2021. Herb, what do you think about everything? I heard you you mumbling and grumbling there as I was reading that. I was saying it to myself too as I was reading it there for the first time aloud. But what do you think when you hear that from Chris Getz? Ugh, just, I mean, I've known this and this these words have been out there in the atmosphere i think our guy james fox has pretty much said this to a t that andrew vaughn they think that he's ready to go i'm flabbergasted by that i know he was supposed to be the most hitter friendly hitter ready guy in his draft and he was supposed to come and be a hitter pretty much immediately but to only go to single A his first year and then miss the minors the whole year for 2020. And I know what he's saying about being at that summer camp and then going down to Schaumburg and facing those pitchers they had there. That's not the major leagues. There's a reason why they're at Schaumburg. They're not ready for the major leagues. It's a difference. It's a huge step up. And you're going to have this young player put all his worth, all his baseball worth, into his performance at the plate doesn't seem like a, uh, a recipe for success. It's putting a lot of pressure. We just talked about crochet and maybe putting him in a bad spot where there's runners on. It's a dirty inning and he can't just come in and be the guy who starts the inning. How about, Hey, you got the MVP. You got one of the burgeoning uh, hitters and left center field is pretty good. Uh, you're good at you're good at third base. Shortstop is uh, one of the hitting champions. Yeah, just fit in, kid. Yeah, my this is my first year playing baseball <laughs> at this level by far. Those are professionals for a reason, and they all struggled at this level. They did. You want me to just take these four at bats, and if I go over four and just be smooth with it? That's no. That's that's a what. A, that's why you pay Nelson Cruz all this money because he's understood how to do that. Not everybody can be a designated hitter. That's why Frank Thomas was the first Hall of Famer that was a designated hitter, primarily. It's a hard thing to do. It's really hard to just think about your at-bats and not field and not be able to contribute to the team any other way. And for a youngster, why we think that Eloy doesn't want to do it? Because he knows that just thinking about at-bats, 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 all day long would drive him wild, especially if he's had a bad one. And so this is a this is a bad plan. It's a bad plan to start off with. He might have success, and he might be that dude. But for anybody 
to jump from single A to the major leagues is a huge jump. And with the expectations that this team is going to have, if Andrew Vaughn doesn't turn out to be a great designated hitter, you think Herb Lawrence in August is going to be like, oh, this is rookie year. No, Herb <laughs> Lawrence will be like, Andrew Vaughn, you're in the majors now. I don't give a damn if you are young. I don't give a damn if you've only played one. This is your first year past A. You better perform. They had faith in you, perform. I don't care if he's below 200 at that time. I'll be MFing him at the time. So that's a huge thing for a kid to be MFed by his whole fan base, thinking that he's the, 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 the reason why the offense isn't working at its peak. And they're going to put this all on this kid. It's, it's, it's shameful. They should have went out and paid whatever price needed to be paid for Nelson Cruz. As we see, it wasn't that much. And as we see with Ozuna, it wasn't that much. $16.5 million, that's it? For four years of, of Ozuna in his prime? Man, this just trash. And I think Andrew Vaughn eventually might be great. But skipping him from these levels just because it would have been his year to be in the majors is weird as hell to me. And relying on him to be this guy is very, very short-sighted by the White Sox. I hope it works out. But I'm saying right here, right now, that it's a bad plan no matter what. Yeah, it's important to say that before it happens, right? Like, we, we, you guys know how we feel about this, and that was extremely well said by you. And I don't know if I'll be MF in the kid because he didn't call himself up and put himself in this spot, but this seems like a bad way to handle a number one pick, man. Like, he could very well come out of the shoot and prove us wrong, but that may take a lot of luck in baseball, you know what I mean? Like, to, for him to get rolling. All, all of a sudden, he's you know, comes June or July and, he, and he's not hitting his weights, like, that's going to it's gonna weigh on him, man. It's going to affect the lineup. Guys are going to start looking around like, come on, man. We're supposed to be World Series, you know, competing this year and you got this kid here who's never, you know, hasn't played at all in major leagues and, and he's weighing us down. Like, that's going to take an effect. I'm sure he's got going to have a supportive base with his teammates, but I, I'm just not a huge fan of this. But, you know, they're, they're selling me on the fact that, oh, he faced uh, major league pitching in Schaumburg. Who, Ronaldo Lopez? Ross Detweiler? Bernardo Flores, like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, I, I would like to, you know, maybe talk to James Fox and talk about who else was down there. But just anecdotally off the top of my head, I, I, you know, the guys that were sent up and down all year long, those guys, like, that's who they're talking about, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, last last time I checked, you know, uh, Verlander in his prime wasn't at Schaumburg, okay? Like, you know, that, that's not a thing. You know, maybe he did perform well, but this is when no, basically no one watching except for Clinton Cole and James Fox and, you know, all those other guys. They're watching, but, you know, you, the, the lights are not on. You, you know what I mean? Like, I have a real problem with this plan, man, and we didn't talk much about Nelson Cruz finally going back to the Twins. Maybe we'll talk about that on Wednesday and Alex Colome as well, but, you know, just – Things are different now. I realize that in baseball, guys are fast-tracked because of the financial aspect. Like, you want to get guys who are on cheap contracts up helping your ball club immediately. And, you know, maybe the White Sox are just trying to be forward-thinking. But I just – I really don't like this when you're talking about a, a position player, a, a hitter, when so much of the game is, is mental, especially the DH role. Like, you know, this guy's been first baseman his entire life, and now you're expecting him to acclimate to Major League Baseball life – and also to be a DH where he can take those struggles into the locker room with him after every single at bat. You know, I worry about Eloy being a DH. 
Like, you know, we're talking about that as like a best case scenario where you have Eden and Engel in the corner spots and Eloy's the DH because Tony La Russa doesn't trust him out there, which I would get if they would make that move. But I have my reservations about Eloy, who's got a couple years of service time already and how he would handle failures with, you know, not being able to, to, to go back out in the field and play the game. And, you know, what happens if he fails and he has to live in his own head from at bat to at bat? That's tough. That's a tough job, man. We saw it happen to Adam Dunn when he got here. You know, he was used to playing every day, and he couldn't handle the struggles of being a DH. Jim Tomey talked about it so many times. He thrived, but he said it was still a struggle. You know, Frank Thomas is 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 beyond human. He's, he's an alien in that regard, where he was able to transition flawlessly. He had some injury issues there, but for the most part, he raked and raked and raked and raked no matter where he was. That's that's a Hall of Famer right there, first ballot Hall of Famer. We're not talking about just a first round pick from Cal here, you know. So I, I worry about this. We hope we're wrong. Please <laughs> allow us to eat shit <laughs> at the end of the year, you know. Um, but I just why do this when your team is on the precipice of being a, a World Series contender? I don't get it. We'll see what how it plays out here. There's rumors still floating around about other DHs, but I think they're telling you right here this is the plan. Now, unless this is all part of Chris Getz is saying this, hyping up his guy so his guy gets more confident and so he looks good. Like if Chris Getz is out here saying, hey, my guys are good to go. I got them coached up and I evaluated them and they know they're ready. Maybe Rick Hahn is supposed to say, that, like, okay, good. They, they know they're ready, but we know as an organization we have to protect our first-round pick and we're going to give him a little bit of a softer landing here. We're going to build him a little nest here where he can murder double uh, a AA and triple a pitching in 2021 and come up maybe in september as a call up and get a little taste but not you know not the whole meal here so we'll see how this transpires here but uh we got a mail how about your how about your designated hitter hitting seventh eighth or ninth like that's, yeah his best getting scenario is hitting seventh on this team your designated hitter a guy's supposed to be one of your best hitters going to be hitting that low in the order yeah i worry about the flow of a lineup it's so important to have continuity and have a rhythm in a lineup and hitting is contagious and all that anecdotal stuff that you heard over the years like i worry about what if you just have a guy who's just not hitting his weight in the seventh or eighth spot and that lineup doesn't turn over you know what i mean you don't get to ta you don't get to see him uh, uh one extra time over the course of a game uh, or a couple times over the course of a week, and then you build that into a 162 game season. Could be like you know 10 extra times. Like what does that mean for it for a team that that relies so so much on what TA does at the top, and you just have a dead spot there in the lineup? I, again, I'm just thinking about the worst case scenario, but it's certainly plausible, you know. And I know the people out there are like ah, Nelson Cruz last legs. Just think about when we go to Minnesota or they come here. When you watch the game, and if there's a base runner on second base, and Nelson Cruz happens to be up, what are you going to be asking for? Intentional walk. Because the base is open. You don't want to face that dude. That's the same reason why you're supposed to get him. Because he's deadly. He makes your lineup that much better. He puts, base, he puts himself on the bases because people don't want to face him. Because he's deadly. No one's going to be doing that to Andrew Vaughn this year. They're going to be waiting to face this kid. Like, Remember Eloy, his first year? Slider, slider, slider. See you later. Bye. And he's not even that good as Eli. Eloy. Eloy is another species of hitting. That's what people said. He's going to be great. Andrew Vaughn, he's had one good year or one year at A, and I don't even know if it was good. <laughs> so no one speaks of him in the Eloy market, in the Eloy atmosphere. So I want the kid to just kill 
down in double A somewhere. Well, even Luis Robert heard. Look at Luis Robert at the end of the year. Like the entire month of September. Like, you know, he went from all world to, oh my God, this guy can't hit. Like, what are we going to do? You know, and he turned it around in the postseason there. But that was a guy who murdered pitching at every level. And, And his, the way they brought him up, was the way you're supposed to bring a guy up. Slowly but surely, he had some injury issues, so they kind of held him back a little bit. And he had that season there in Double A where he kind of got back on track. And then they you you start to see them fast track him a little bit when they realized, okay, this guy can pound Double A pitching, and what he's going to do in Triple A is just a formality because he's going to see better stuff in Double A. And then he still struggled, you know. And it's, we still don't know how he's going to recoup from the from his September. We saw a small sample size in the postseason. Maybe he's going to be okay but you know he's still going to deal with some struggles here so now you're talking about two guys in the lineup that maybe aren't aren't hitting or maybe are dealing with the mental struggles and you're supposed to be in your world series window come on man like you know it's just oh it's it's so it's so frustrating when there's so many options available for the white Sox to make it not be a thing like i just don't think they're doing him uh you know they're not giving him the best position to succeed you, you hear Rickon talk about all the time give give a guy you know put them in a position to succeed and I just don't think they're doing that here again we're, we're not playing games yet um, they still have time to to have another option here but it's just it's quite a risk and that's all I'll say coming up after a quick timeout we'll open up the bag for the first time this week Keep it here on Locked On White Sox. This episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. And now, Built Bar is somehow even deliciouser with their six brand new flavors. Check this out. So I've been talking about my new favorite flavor, coconut, on the podcast. And, you know, I, I, I like the coconut-centric flavors from Built Bar. They're just delicious. They're comparable to other popular candy bars that have coconut, right? So uh, I get home today, and waiting for me at my doorstep is a new flavor, which I don't even know if you guys can get yet. Uh, go to BuiltBar.com and find out. But it was coconut brownie chunk. So I had one of those today, and oh man, they were delicious. I'm going to add those into the rotation. Even though I just picked up an 18-pack for myself with Cherry Barcia, Coconut, and Carrot Cake with Almond, uh, I'm going to consider this Coconut Brownie Crunch the next time I order. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Do what I did. Go to BuiltBar.com, but don't do what I did. I forgot the promo code. Use our promo code LOCKDOWN, and you're going to get 20% off of your next order at BuiltBar.com. You see, Built Bar's are high protein, low carb, low sugar. They're great if you're trying to lose or maintain weight. And for me, I just like to have a healthy alternative to sweet treats that I'm always trying to indulge on here at the house and at work too. So a Built Bar allows me to still get my chocolate craving because as always, they're covered in chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're not grainy and tough like some of the other protein bars on the market. But go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code LOCKDOWN, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKDOWN for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. We're also brought to you today by RockAuto.com. You know, friends, there's so many different makes and models of automobiles these days, it's become impossible to stock all the parts your car is going to need in one of those traditional chain storefronts. So why do that to yourself? Why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your car an LX or an EX? Oh, let me go out to the car and check because I forgot. Why wait in the line while the counter person orders up the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand that their warehouse happens to carry? Why do that when you have so many options in your phone, so many more options? 
when you go to rockauto.com and it's right there in your pocket, easy to use as well. You see those chain stores that I talked about? They offer different price tiers for mechanics and do-it-yourselfers like you and I, but rockauto.com's prices, they're always reliably low and they're the same for do-it-yourselfers and professionals. rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear sort of like how airlines do rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login it's so easy i've used it before you just go in there search for the parts you're looking for for your car they pop up right on the screen add it to your cart buy it and wait for it to ship to your door and there's no fuss no email logging in no forgetting your password none of that so do us a favor go to rockauto.com now write the promo code locked on and their how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com friends it's black history month in february and the lockdown podcast network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called locked on presents more than a game this week candace cooper of locked on tar heels and erica ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. Subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Herbie, should we open the bag? Let's do it. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. Oh, we love email too, Hawkeroo. And if you love to email, that's your thing maybe. You like just sending emails to people. And if you have White Sox thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, or life questions and you want to send them to us, how can they go on about doing that, Herbie? Send it to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Send your emails, questions, comments, whatever, to LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. We'll read them all. Not all of them make these shows. A lot of them do, uh, but that we are starting to uh, finally edit a little bit because we're getting so many. Like I just want to thank you guys uh, very much for just getting these these messages to us all off season long. I know you know with the White Sox being good and all, it provides lots of questions and roster issues and things like that but i've just been very pleased by the overall interaction that you guys have had all off season so thank you guys so much for that because it gives us a easy content not easy but fun easy content where we can just talk to you guys all off season long and maintain a a good dialogue which with you guys so uh, i appreciate it uh, very much so uh, the first one is obviously a very very pressing important issue first one coming in here on mailbag monday is from our friend roger in greensboro Roger asked this, put the earmuffs, earmuffs for me, kids, all right? Where the fuck did Locked On White Sox bullshit come from? Did those Boston motherfuckers whine onto the Locked On Podcast Network? All right, I'm glad I got that out. I have a feeling that you had some serious calls with the Locked On Network folks, folks and made a legitimate choice. Thanks, Roger and Greensboro. Okay, hand up. That's on me. Uh, sorry for calling the show the name of the show what it is. That's t- totally totally uncalled for, and that's that's on me. Uh, but yeah, I I have been leaning a little bit towards locked on White Sox lately because you know there is another Sox team out there, and we you know just anecdotally we know it is locked on Sox, obviously. But I just like to throw the name out there because there may be people who are listening for the first time. And they want to search the name of the show in the iTunes store. So I want to make sure that they that they have the real name. So that's just, you know, me trying to be a, a radio guy and all get my teases and the actual name of the show. So sorry, Roger. 
I yeah, that's it. what they, the Locked On Network, call us, the Locked On White Sox. I did the what Locked On Sox thing because I, you know, us in Chicago call each, we don't call the White Sox the White Sox necessarily. It's like the Sox. Yeah. So that's why you know I did it initially as such. Locked On White Sox is the show. Yes. And so. you and you, sir, you are wearing the Locked On Socks. Note the shirt. The Locked On Socks shirt that I had made up. These are only for people. Uh, random participants who subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and, of course, comment. Look at that beautiful shirt. This is like Very the pri- comfortable, too. It is. I wore mine yesterday. Uh, this is like the price is right here. I'm just oogling over Herb here. But, yeah, uh, I have those shirts, and I have a coffee mug, which I have right here, a nice little locked-on socks coffee mug. Uh, so I've been, I sent out my first prize pack over the weekend, so uh, our guy Mike got his, and he tweeted out a very, very handsome photo of himself with the the new gear. Now you can't buy these; we can't sell them, but come out of my own pocket, Herb's own pocket, and then we we send them out to random uh, subscribers. So don't think it doesn't happen. I've been teasing it for a while, but now that we're at over 200 YouTube subscribers, I was like, okay, I made my promise every hundred, uh, and let me start sending them out. So. It could be you. Next person could be you. Just subscribe to us on YouTube, Locked On White Sox on YouTube or on iTunes. Give us the five-star rating, screen cap it, and uh, let us know for sure. Show us proof that you did it, and you too can get yourself a nice little, very handsome Locked On Sox prize pack. So thank you, And they're very comfortable, and like they're perfect to size. You know, double X, sometimes you get a shirt, and you're like, ugh, it's tight as fuck. This is an undershirt. Nope. This is a real shirt. Mine was nice. Like I know it's never going to be – the same as when I wear it next time. Like I, I may not even throw it in the dryer because it was such a perfect fit the first time around. So, but yeah, I love this shirt. Very, very nice and comfortable. I wish we could sell them and make money hand over fist, but the network is not uh, allowing us to sell them as of yet. So there's nothing wrong with just giving them to you guys because you know it's just promotion. So it is what it is. Uh, next one coming up here from our guy Joe. Joe says this. What's up, Chris and Herb? What's up, Joe? What's up, Joe? Thank you. Uh, been a while since I wrote into the mailbag. With all the angst waiting for the season to start, I figured it'd be a good time to send it in again. As 2020 was a very hard year for everyone, there were a lot of bright spots, believe it or not. As a new dad, I had the greatest opportunity of all, introducing my son to the White Sox. So many memories from the season that I can remember. However, the Lucas Giolito no-hitter was the best one. As Adam Engel caught that last out, I tried so hard not to scream and wake up my three-month-old at the time who had fallen asleep on my chest. Pretty emotional moment considering how much I was going, what was going on in the world. I made truly appreciate uh, how baseball can really be a companion or escape for three hours during a rough time. So my question to you guys is this. What is the most emotional moment in White Sox history that you have shared with a family member or a friend that you'll never forget? Thanks, guys, and keep up the great content here and on the score. Always a fan. That's Joe at jledge91 on Twitter. All right, Herb. I know you're not a you're not a baseball romantic like I am, but like you know, for someone who loves our game so much, uh, what is your fo- like favorite most emotional White Sox moment? It could be anger, maybe. <laughs> like you know, emotion not always good. I think he, Joe wants a positive emotion, but negative is good too. So, what do you got for me? Well, the yeah, like you said, I don't really get you know romantic about baseball necessarily, especially at the ballpark because I didn't grow up with like a dad and mom watching the White Sox. So like, this is my thing. And then the thing that I love the most is traveling with you and Brendan to these games. And then the best thing, the best thing that I've ever had, and we've referenced this before is when score listener slash locked on listener, John Shank 
recognized us just say, Hey, Herb, Hey, Chris, Hey, Brennan, what's up? And he, we were in Pittsburgh yeah. and he bought us around. I think Brendan brought him, uh, him and us around. We just sat down anywhere. I think we sat like on the third base side wherever we wanted to sit, just eating your chicky and pizza fries. <laughs> That's right. And then the drinking some, uh, I don't know if there are ICs or some, uh, uh, what are those y- other Yinglings. Yinglings? Yeah, Yinglings. We had like Ar- Iron City Light, the the favorite uh, beverage of Dave Wanstead. Anything Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah, any. Yeah, we had it all. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's that's what I get romantic about. And the White Sox were, I think, shitty that day. It was we left like in the sixth inning. Ronaldo. Like so that. we we're... had pimp ass seats. We had right behind the plate seats, and yeah, Rodon got murdered. <laughs> For some reason, I want to say something in, with Notre Dame happened that day too. I don't know why. Like every time I think about that game with you, it's something happened what, in order to twenty fifteen. Yeah, I don't know what it was. It might have been that was like off. yeah, that was like in May or June, right? So what would have happened? I don't. I don't remember. I don't know either. I just <laughs> I, in my mind I associate Notre Dame with the back of those seat those seats with the back of the. Uh, of uh, a home plate, and then meeting up with uh, Dan Hayes and Daryl Van Scowen and Colleen Kane. Colin Kane, yeah. and I think Bobby Thickpin was in the room. Somewhere. Yeah, Zach Duke was in there, you know, with the with his old friends. Yeah, so yeah, I, that's I, what I think about, like meeting people that from you know the score or just people who recognize you. Where uh, it's like a familiar face in an unfamiliar place, and that's always making you the best of friends. And John was, you know, couldn't have been more fun. And if you guys out there know who John is, you know he's a great dude. So I look forward to seeing that dude again personally and then also some of you guys out there at different ballparks if can be guaranteed great that's my you know emotional like white Sox moments i really didn't get emotional at all during the world series i was still working so yeah i was different that emotional at all yeah it's different when you're when you're working a broadcast that's for sure um you know i that's all i want in 2021 is to be able to go to to pittsburgh um hopefully without a mask um, you know, it'll probably be reduced capacity, but who knows what it's like in, in Pennsylvania that by June, that's all I want is to, to make good on my promise to John Shank. I don't know if he'll be there or not, but I just want to be there and be able to enjoy the socks, uh, at pirates at PNC park of the, one of the baseball palaces of the modern world. I just, I want it more than anything. It's the only thing I have on 2021 uh, in the calendar that I'm like, I just want this one thing to happen. And that's us to go to Pittsburgh. But as far as me, you know, it is kind of weird. Like, you know, there is so much of it's tied into family and, you know, my grandfather having passed away in March of 05, he never got to see the White Sox win the World Series. So, like, when we got season tickets that year, it was like every time there'd be a weird little bounce, like, you know, me and my dad would have a moment. Like, oh, that was that's something that we're not used to getting, a little, a little, you know, thing of luck that the Sox don't always get that rolls in their favor. All of a sudden, those things started rolling in the favor. The A.J. Pruszynski dropped third strike. Like, those things didn't always happen in the White Sox. So we always felt there was a little divine intervention. I'm sure a lot of people think that. But, uh, you know, it was, it was an emotional time in 05. And, you know, just watching – I think for me, when I lost it in 05, was when uh, was when my guy Juan Uribe, when Uribe made that catch uh, for the second out in the ninth. Because at that moment, I was like, "Oh my God, it's going to happen!" Like usually, 
you, you know, it's already a one nothing game, so you're 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 on the edge of your seat as it is. But when he reaches into the stands and and makes that catch, you you knew, even with the runner on second base, even you know, being up three games to none, you you still were nervous, but you knew with that second out was made. That was thing. That was something that you only see like in World Series highlight videos on things that happened to another team, not to your team. So when Uribe like came out with that ball in the stands, and I always remember Joe Creedy pointing back to the infield, telling him to get the ball in, like. That's when I started to like lose it, like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. And I had the, uh, John Rooney and Ed Farmer on the call on the radio, and I had the TV broadcast turned down. And just enjoying that moment, back then we lived in a two-flat. Uh, we were on the first floor, my, me, my mom, and dad, and then uh, my grandmother uh, was on the second floor of the two-flat. <clears throat> so we would you know, watch the game and then go back up there. I remember my dad was upstairs, and I, I watched the final out. Uh, by myself, like, and I was so nervous. I didn't want to leave because I think I had a little, I channeled my inner herb where it was like, you didn't want to mess up. Like they were winning one nothing when I was in the recliner chair in the living room on the first floor. I didn't want to go upstairs and mess it up. So after that final out, uh, you know, I went upstairs and we all kind of had a family moment of just enjoying it. But there were so many uh, in 2005 and, you know, a lot of them after that didn't really experience because when you're working in the industry, uh, you know, you have to maintain professional uh, attitude. But, you know, I remember jumping up and down, me and Joe Ostrowski during Burley's perfect game when Dwayne Wise made that catch. Like, knowing that we were witnessing history, like, that was pretty cool. That was more just jubilation and, like, oh, my God, we're at this point. Like, it's going to happen. Again, the second out, it's always like, you know, <laughs> like you know it's going to happen when that, when that second out is made. Like, you can kind of breathe and you're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, so, like, things like that I'll always remember. But, yeah, there's so many along the way. But I think of those – uh, moments uh, first and foremost so yeah thank you uh this this year i'm hoping there's no emotional moments because i'm hoping we're working uh during the white Sox and we'll have to be professional and we'll be doing the podcast immediately after a world series winner uh you know so hopefully there won't be any emotional moments in that regard this year but i'm with you i'm definitely looking forward to getting back on the road and seeing some people again uh in 2021 uh, so thank you very much uh, joe for the email next one coming in here from our guy mark p Mark says this, after the recent U Darvish, Blake Snell, and Nolan Arenado trades, should the White Sox focus on drafting and signing athletic high school center field prospects? It seems like teams are valuing high upside lottery tickets over slightly older, more established prospects and salary dumps. Uh, that's Mark P. We kind of touched on this a little bit, Herbie, in episodes previous, but um, you know, we talked about White Sox organizational philosophy and draft philosophy, and it's just something that I don't think is going to happen, but... Um, it seems like there's more shuffling with, with the White Sox front office structure with Chris Gatz and Mike Shirley. And, like, you know, we're seeing things that we hadn't seen before in a while, like guys fast tracked along the way. So, you know, you know, knowing that we have some, you know, shifting in the organization, like, do you think maybe this is still a possibility for them to, to draft these type of guys? Because really, they always drafted corner outfield types, like power hitting your Courtney Hawkins of the world, like guys who would hit for power. You know, that would profile out to be a 30 home run guy because that's back when, you know, U.S. Cellular Field played. It was a power hitters park, but they never really focused on drafting, you know, athletic shortstop center field types. They would go for the tools, the athlete, Jared Mitchell, Courtney Hawkins, but the guy, the shortstop that can, you know, play anywhere in the infield, the center fielder that can move anywhere. They never really got those type of guys. So, you know, what do you think? You think that we're ever going to see that change as long as, uh, I guess, Kenny Williams is sort of overseeing all of it? I hope that they make adjustments to where the market is to or set the market doing something of before other teams do it. So whatever they find an advantage in their scouting, research, drafting, 
I want them to do it. I want them to draft players that they believe that are high ceiling people with maybe a low floor, but with their training staff, with the people they have in the development, we'll get this guy up to speed type of type of faith in their training staff. I mean, it hasn't worked as yet. There's very few people drafted, cultivated, and then on the major league roster by the White Sox. You see Tim Anderson out there, but it's very few and far between otherwise. So they just drafted a high school pitcher this past draft in Jared Kelly. So that's very unusual for them to do that, especially early in the draft. I don't know. Whatever they want to do, um, you know, Mike Shirley, his first swing at the uh, draft, it was only five rounds. Pretty good. We got Crochet out of that draft who is looking to be a stud. Just go with this guy's philosophy, and if they found a way where they can exploit uh, a snag in what the draft is or a, uh, a benefit to them that they set the market, I'm, I'm all for it. This Mike Shirley seems like a smooth character, and they trust him. Uh, Rick Hahn trusts him. And he, after a lot of shuffling through Lauman and then Hostedler, now they think I, I think they found their guy in this guy in Mike Shirley. So I trust him forever he wants to do uh, going forward. Absolutely. And I remember, you know, you only got one World Series out of it, but when with Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, and Jason McLeod, their philosophy was – you know, draft those shortstops so that way you have shortstops all over the infield, guys with range, guys that can play any position, get as many center fielders as you can, those type of guys that can be switched and moved around in the outfield. Like I think that's always a good philosophy when you when you when you get guys like that because it creates less problems later on. Like, you know, they had you know, Addison, you know, they had Javi Baez, who was one of their touted prospects, and then they acquire Addison Russell, and all of a sudden, you know, now you have two shortstops on the infield, and their defense was all world in 2016. You know what I mean? So that type of philosophy, I think, is is generally a good one to have guys and like trading that. Trading Graber Towers, another middle infielder for a guy that they needed. You know, I'm yeah. not here to say it was a good move or not, but Aroldis Chapman helped them win the World Series. It was Banner's shortstop. That they traded for him. banners fly forever. I think I think they would do that move ten times out of ten over again. Um, you know, it stings a little bit after the fact, and we'll get to that a little bit in the next question. But yeah, I would love to see them. And what you you said was a good point, Herb. Is like they only had the five rounds to work with this year, so we really don't know what the new reg- the drafting regime. We don't know their philosophy. We know they were going for high upside guys and guys that could sort of make an immediate impact, like impact like Crochet was already up and I didn't think we'd see him so quickly and we'll get to him a little bit in tomorrow's episode but yeah high ceiling guys which I I like you know I think generally that's a good draft philosophy but you know uh, White Sox you know not not so much in the past they usually go for more of a safe pick Uh, but yeah I would like to see them uh, I I want to see the draft this year uh, you know, be a little more of an indicator of what their philosophy is. I don't want to judge them on one draft. But uh, as always, thank you for the email. Uh, moving on, next one here is from Sam and Hinsdale. Hey, Sam, my question for you guys is this. Do you foresee any potential roster holes in the 2021 season where we'd have to make a major move salute at the trade deadline? Because if that roster hole situation occurs, would you guys be willing to part with one of our top 100 prospects like Vaughn or Crochet even if the deadline trade would be for a rental player only. It's a necessary move. I would do so begrudgingly, given up a prospect would suck heavily. Uh, anyways, what are your guys' thoughts? That's Sam from Hinsdale. All right, Herb. So giving up a top 100 guy, I mean, that seems like an easy answer in itself. Top 100 is such a big list, and not everyone's top 100 is equal, but let's just stick with those two guys right there. Um, Crochet or, or Vaughn. 
and I know it's always helpful to know, okay, who are you getting back? But and these things tend to be fluid, these situations. But the general premise salute of giving up one of those two guys at the deadline, uh, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I'm fine <laughs> with going for it 100% and mortgaging the future. Uh, it's going to be real hard to tell somebody that, okay, we got this picture for the next two months trying to make a push for the World Series when we're currently in a period where you could have did that just with money. Yes. So, yes, we've made our point clear that we would rather have money be the determining factor of acquisitions or the draft. Those are the easiest ways to get players. To actually give up Crochet or Vaughn or Magical, any of these people, it's going to have some real pain. This pitcher or designated hitter or right fielder, whoever it is, has to be an ass kicker. Has to be a no doubt ass kicker. He comes on your team, he makes your team that much better. It just can't be okay. We're getting a fourth starter because uh, Cease is not the guy right now. It's got to be okay. This guy's the number one starter. Is that He's on a team. He's on a team that sucks. Yeah, exactly. He has on a team that sucks. That's not going anywhere. So he's looking for next two months of dominating, and he's working for a contract himself. Jacob Degrom, like let's say yeah. that Mets thing implodes and they don't get a deal done with him. I saw that today that they're trying to uh, work out a, a, an extension for J- Degrom after missing out on on Bauer, like someone like that, like a no doubt about it, top of the line guy. You know what yeah, I mean? Not, like, not these. Like I love Corbin Burns, love him, but if that was the trade. It'll be real, real tough for me to pull the trigger unless Corbin Burns comes out this year and he just continues dominance and he goes on to the next level. That one I would have to think about. But as Taney was saying, if it's top of the line, Zach Grinke or Jacob DeGrom, who finished, I think, third place in Cy Young and two years ago, I think he's won it two years before that. So, yeah, I'll take in Jacob DeGrom and throwing uh, Magical or Vaughn or Crochet to New York immediately. Not thinking two two seconds about it, but it has to be of that level, a top-notch player still in his prime doing things well um, to give up a guy at the trade trade deadline. Where they, it seems like the trades this offseason for these guys who are pretty good don't need to be that good. But I think in the season, it'll have to be that much better because I think expanded playoffs are going to be in there. So there's more teams asking for a DeGrom, more teams asking for a Granke. So you're going to have more competition. So the asking price is going to be raised up. Yeah, I, I got to know the deal before I commit to getting rid of either of these guys. But I think with the expanded playoffs, like I don't think many teams are going to be selling. So, which is why I really dislike um, Rick Hahn's offseason philosophy. Um, I know he's you know he's got his hands tied with a lot of the budget stuff, but this whole idea of Let's keep the powder dry until the trade deadline and see what become, becomes available. This whole White Sox philosophy of kicking the can down the road and let's just worry about it later and you know we'll reevaluate things later on. But I, I will think you'll start to see fans come in. Maybe that'll ease their financial anxiety a little bit and they'll be more prone to absorb a contract from a guy, you know, top of the end, top of the line starter. I'm not so sure I'm giving up either of those guys, Sam. Uh, those those are two of your top. 10 let alone top 100 guys like yeah i would definitely give up somebody in the top 100 i'd give up all like you know give me i'll give you 10 guys from my from my top 100 to get someone that can help you at the deadline uh, but a lot of things i gotta know where the socks are at 
um, you know, what other teams in baseball look like, things like that. But yeah, I think they're not going to. And I, I really worry that they're not going to have many options at the deadline. But these things tend to be so fluid, man. These, you know, you never, you can never predict baseball. Like some of these things, like who knows if the Mets do blow up. You know, that division is so stacked. They, you know, one team gets off to a bad start, even with the expanded playoffs, and all of a sudden they could be reevaluating things, you know? So you just never know in baseball. Um, I think that about does it here for uh, today's Mailbag Monday, Herbie. And uh, there's another spirited edition. We've got more coming for you this entire week. we got so many emails we'll get through. Tomorrow on tomorrow's show, we've got uh, – we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Getz. I mentioned him earlier. He's got some ideas for Crochet and Andrew Vaughn, and I, I think they've made the decision on who's going to be DH in 2021. So we'll get to that tomorrow as well as uh, some more of your emails. But uh, that's all I got, Herbie. All right, that is Chris Tannehill. Follow him at Chris Tannehill on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23. YouTube is Locked On Socks. Like we said earlier, this shirt I'm wearing right now, I'm going to raise up if you're watching on YouTube. Locked On Socks podcast. It's a prize, part of a prize pack that one of our great subscribers, Mike Victor, has already won. Chris has already sent out the prize pack for him. You could be next. When we hit another 100 subscribers and when you're there hit the notifications bell too he's gonna send out a prize pack maybe a mug maybe a shirt maybe all of those mm. things included in the prize pack but if you want to be looking sharp like me and like mike victor and like chris Tannehill, locked on socks on youtube immediately go there subscribe watch this video watch how how smooth i look in this shirt <laughs> so for chris Tannehill. My name is Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mailback Monday on Locked On Socks.